you know, I mean, it just depends on um, on how well they set it up and then, you know, what instruments, you know, how good the instruments are. I remember early MIDI was basically all synthesized sounds and, you know, on computers and it was pretty poor. But, uh, you know, the sounds, the, the sampled sounds that I've got with, uh, with like GarageBand and with um, 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 uh, Logic Pro are... Uh, you know, professional quality. Well, I think what uh, the ones that I have are made by by musicians who actually play the MIDI into the, uh, they get converted into MIDI as they play, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 When they're recording it, because, and if, and, and MIDI has, uh, has the um, ability to get like the nuance of the playing now, whereas before it, it was like the note and the duration. Now it's the note, the duration, the attack, the, the, the you know, I mean, it's, it's got all of the, the, yeah. the nuance of the player, which right. makes for, uh, you know, some really good quality. Well, and, and they break it out, you know, in addition to the piano, there's an upright studio bass in here, which adds a lot, uh, string ensemble, a mm -hmm. mellow organ. Now they, that's always used for the melody. Mm -hmm. a mellow organ and that's you can cut that down so that then you just sing along when you know this the, the verse you know right but that's right. the melody and you can just tone it down if you don't want to want that to come out and of course then there's other things like acoustic and classic guitars here roots rock uh and classical ensemble well wait, wait a minute those aren't used they were instruments that were put in here but uh, weren't weren't actually recorded so or, or they were recorded and somebody took them out, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, find, I find that inevitable that somebody maybe had some idea of putting some more tracks in and then they just left the, the stuff because it doesn't seem, I don't, I, I don't think there's a way to take these instruments out once you put them in. There's a plus mark to add instruments, but never any to take it away unless you just place the, uh, push the delete button. I, I'm not that familiar what, with what what is it that you're playing them in? I do all this stuff, but anyway, it's a it's a fascinating program. Well, you know what? It's fun to talk about. Let's let's record so we can get catch some of this. Oh, all right. <clears throat> Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm joined by my dad, Jack Brinker. That's the two generations. How you doing? That's two of us. Yeah, I'm doing fine, Todd. It's the two generations here. So before we hit the record button, we were actually talking about um, some MIDI files that you're playing that you'd forgotten you had, and so you found them, and you're you know playing them and listening. What is it you're playing them in? What's the app? Uh, well, the the app itself is uh, GarageBand. Oh, okay. That comes, I think it comes with, or is it's free from yeah, Apple? Yeah, if it's if it's not preloaded, it's a free download. I, you know, they've changed over the years as to how that's yeah. there. But uh, anybody who wants it, you know, if you're on a um, have a, a Mac device, you can download GarageBand, um, and it's available on iOS as well as uh, Mac OS now. Yeah, so. and, it, and it looks like I've I've downloaded uh, some of these files uh, starting probably in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the web and 2019 through 20 parts of 2020 and yeah. then uh, then there's others that I have edited and so they have later dates sure uh, 
because I did something with them. You played with them a little bit. So, um, and the files we're talking about, primarily not just MIDI files, but MIDI files set up for uh, singing along with karaoke type things. So, so they've got uh, a variety of instruments in the arrangement, but then, as you were saying, they have like a mellow organ that plays the melody, and then you can raise or lower the volume on that uh, because that's basically the melody line that you would sing with the song. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Now, you don't have the uh, right hardware to do Apple's new uh, karaoke function that's built into iOS and Apple TV, do you? The You're talking about Apple Sings. Right. Uh, I was just reading about that this morning, and no, I don't, uh, but I was thinking about yeah. finally going and getting uh, my uh, Apple TV, right. 4K, which has that built in. Uh, it's, the downside of that is that it's just, you know, uh, for home use. Uh, generally, if I want something like this, I want it to work on the iPad. So that means upgrading to the iPad, and I'm not right. ready to do that until I see whether or not they're coming out with a 16-incher. Right. To me, size is important. Of course, uh, you pay a price with weight as the yeah. bigger. Yeah, you get bigger and bigger, and eventually it's just, you know, you just lay it flat on a table because you don't, don't want to pick the thing up. Um, or you have to prop it up, in which case you've effectively got a laptop, and you're going, well, why did I just buy the 16-inch laptop? And yeah. rumors rumors are persisting that there will be a uh, a 15 or a 15-and-a-half-inch um, version of the MacBook Air. And they may just call it MacBook when they market it, but it's essentially the MacBook Air with a larger screen. Um you know, and that might be the right way for you to go at some point, although you just bought a, a, a new uh, uh, Apple Silicon laptop, so you probably don't want to. Yeah, uh, I would think my laptop would work with this, but currently uh, Sings is only with uh, yeah. iOS devices. iOS devices and Apple TV devices. It does not work in macOS, which seems really odd to me, that that omission, especially since they have, um, you know, the code base is essentially the same on the two different uh, systems. They've gone over and made Apple Music with, and I forget their um, their uh, language for it, but that, that uh, basically they, they create the, um, the iOS or, or iPad OS app, and then you can uh, convert it to being a Mac app. And that's how they did the most recent version of the music app. So, um, yeah, I'm not quite sure why, but it, it's Do you have any a little frustrating. With Apple Sings yet? So I have both an Apple TV and a phone that are both capable of doing it. So I have played with it a little bit, yeah. And and it's very interesting um, because you're literally listening to the exact same instruments and arrangement because it is. It's it's the song uh, that was played by, uh, you know, the whoever was the original singer or the version that you want to sing with. What's cool about it is that it... Um, you know, I guess in the process of Apple going and signing the deal with different um, people for their music so that they could make it um, uh, the spatial audio, yeah, that, that requires that they go in and break out the different instruments. And so they either have access to the original masters uh, so that they could re- remaster it in spatial audio, or they've got technology that goes in and breaks out each of the different instruments and vocals so that they can then set it up for spatial audio because they have to be able to really, uh, you know, kind of separate the, the different instruments into a wider soundstage. 
And well, I think that the, the, the karaoke is just an offshoot of that because the, I've noticed that all of the karaoke songs or all of the songs that the karaoke or Apple Sings is available for are ones that are also available in spatial audio. Um, and so that's just my supposition. I haven't seen anything printed on that. But, uh, but as far as actual use, it's really fun because you can play the song and then you can just take the lead singer's voice and just drop it down to nothing if you want. Or you can leave it in there just a little bit as a key so that you remember like when to start singing. Because, you know, that's the thing that I think most people in karaoke don't get is the timing. Like, you know, they'll always be like a half beat off when they're singing stuff because they're singing behind because yeah. they're, they don't really know the lyrics. And so they're processing as they do it, you know? Yeah. Well, while it's playing, you really want to have the lyrics in front of you. Right. And that's what Apple Sings does. It puts the lyrics right in front of you and it puts a bar moving across so you can tell when you're supposed to be singing. Even then, most people don't quite time it right. Yeah. You know, but it's fun. But it takes I, a little practice. I'm sure the first time it, you do it is yeah. not a yeah, well, it's like anything. You practice it, you get better at it, right? I mean, your your voice may or may not be any good, but uh, but at least you can sing on time with the music. You know, you're not always, uh, you know, right. start. That's the important part. Yeah, yeah. The, the other key issue with singing on this music is the key is fixed. You can't move it. You can't transpose oh, uh -huh. it at all. Yeah, yeah, and that's true with, with Apple Sings. Yeah, you can't change the the key at all. You're, you're singing the original arrangement as it was done for the original singer or the, or at least the version of that particular recording. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if they really break it, have the ability to break out uh, the instruments that are being played, mm -hmm. then they could actually transpose them. Well, um, yeah, I mean, they would have to do some, some, you know, processing on them somehow because, because these are digital recordings. They're not, like MIDI files where it's easy to just go in and say, okay, now play this, you know, up one or down one. Um, so. Well, uh, it's not that hard to, to break out uh, a lot of instruments. Uh, right. Uh, well, clearly they're doing it. And stuff with single things. Now, any thing that like a piano that you can play chords mm -hmm. with it makes it more difficult because it's like another instrument. So in a sense, mm -hmm. But, yeah, but but you can find fil ways to filter most music and and uh, and build filters that'll pull out just one instrument. You know. Yeah. Well, you know that that. Uh, oh shoot, I'm blanking on the guy's name that we that I sent you the link, and now you listen to him too on on YouTube. Who breaks down the songs? Um, what's his name? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> he he clearly has software that allows him to break stuff in out, you know, because he will like drop things down and play you just the guitar solo or just the drums or something as he's kind of walking you through the. Well, the... he's a he's a musician, and I think sometimes he actually plays some of it. Oh well, he certainly plays a lot of it, or he plays along with it. But mm -hmm. he often will play the original song, and then he'll reach over and drop out. Everything except for the guitar, you know, and then you can just hear that or drop out everything except for the vocal. And, oh, yeah. you know, and, and, and then he'll talk about that and he'll point out, hey, you know, there was some some pro vocal processing done here or whatever, you know. And so um, clearly there's software available to do that, um, you know, unless he's got some access to to, you know, the uh, the masters somehow, which he might in some cases. Yeah. Uh, but well, uh, 
Well, it's amazing that Apple has been successful at getting uh, uh, quite a bit of support from the artist community in order mm -hmm. to do because I knew they couldn't tear anybody's music apart and then profit on it without uh, their concurrence. Yeah. You know, they'd be blowing copyrights everywhere and they'd probably lose their <laughs> music customers. <laughs> yeah. But th there seems to be a lot of momentum behind remastering a lot of stuff for spatial audio. I mean, you know, even the Beatles, who were notoriously slow to come to digital music and digital streaming, um, you know, they're, all of their albums, they're going through and remastering them in spatial audio. So you're not just getting stereo. And it and it's significantly changes the sound, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it sounds very different. You know, whether you like it or not is a whole other question. Uh, but, uh, I find that, um, I start getting used to the idea of the spatial sound. It really sounds better to me. And I noticed that, um, if you watch, uh, movies with, uh, your Apple TV, that, um, if you have two, I have two AirPods set up as right and left speakers that I can use as the sound output for my Apple TV. I also have a uh, a sound bar that has, you know, rear speakers and a subwoofer. And quite honestly, if they have the Dolby Atmos soundtrack, I get better spatial sound from the two Apple speakers than I do from the, the, you know, five, one Dolby sound bar. And so I put that on, I get deeper, richer basses and just clearer sound. And it, and it really, you know, gets you, embeds you into the movie as, as, as the, I guess the best way to say it you feel like you're you know the the theater like experience is much better matched that way yeah. um, the only thing I would say is I wish Apple would would allow you to say you know they, they set up stereo pairing and it's still flaky sometimes sometimes it just cuts out it's not perfect but I wish that they would allow me then to put like an Apple Mini or or, or a couple HomePod Minis behind me to get that 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 front to back sound as well. You know, mm -hmm. you get the right to left and the kind of immersive stereo sound with the speakers, you know, sitting on either side of the television set. It would be cool if I could put one behind me because that's one thing I do like about my soundbar setup is, you know, there are times when say you're watching Star Wars or something when you know, on screen, you, a, a spaceship comes flying from behind you and then comes in across the top of the screen and you see it. And it would be cool to hear the sound match that. And it is with the sound bar. And that's what's fun about it. Um, you can't do that, you know, with two speakers in front of you. I mean, the spatial audio is good, but it's not that good. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it covers the right to left really well in that broad sound stage, but it doesn't do front to back particularly well. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, why if you're going to allow me to use that as my audio system, why not allow me to build out an audio system that's more complex? Yeah. You know, other than yeah, they're probably working on it. Yeah. Other than, like I said, they still haven't gotten just the, the, the stuff that they're supposed to have working consistently all the time as it is. So um, so I guess I could forgive them for getting too fancy. <laughs> or not, or not getting too fancy. You know, if you if you can't make what you're already selling work the way you advertised it, maybe you should focus on fixing that first. Yeah. So, well, and, well, and I not, we're talking about an area that is not just a technology issue; it's a business and uh, cooperation kind of a thing. Whenever you get into business deals with people, that oftentimes 
uh, lawyers get involved that they want to give you least you can get for the money, the maximum amount of money, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's tough to make deals, especially across an industry. You know, I'm surprised they got as far as they have. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing only an Apple can, can, you know, even attempt. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have deep pockets, right? So these things don't, uh, don't happen. Um, yeah, it's cheaply. The, the, the people world can inhibit technologies a whole bunch if they, if they want to, you know, you got to find the motivations that, that sell the idea, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you're right though. If, if, if you can, if Apple finds a market that gives a, a, a much improved product, then people want to, they want to join. Right. So what you got to do is to demonstrate to them what, you know, what they're joining is worth doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems to, I mean, from what I've been able to read, I know I've got daughters who are avid Spotify users um, and they've not made a move yet, but, um, but apparently, you know, if you listen to some of the industry pundits that Spotify doesn't have anything comparable uh, that their attempts to be something similar just don't sound good. They're not, they're not the quality that Apple is and that, that there are people who are leaving Spotify for Apple. So I think that's what, you know, Apple has looked at this and said, what can we do with our resources and, and, you know, to add features and functions that Spotify can't really duplicate very well. And and they're just the company that can't stand not being number one. Yeah. If they're, if they move into a market, they want to be, and their but their definition of number one isn't always the most raw numbers, but the, they, they actually, uh, qualify their their sales as the best sales. We want to sell to the to the best consumers, meaning those that have available money to spend and will come back and spend it on other things. So they try to they they're very specific in saying, you know, I don't care if we sell more phones than Samsung, but we're going to make more money than Samsung because we're going to have higher profit margins because our consumers are willing to pay that for what we give them. You know, right. it's it's that that uh, that deluxe experience that you want right right and that's been sort of uh my my basis for a complaint about some of the things that apple has done for instance some of the um you know they're they're now selling better placement within their store so if you go to the app store or the uh, you know the itunes store for music or for movies or like the the things that you see first are not the things that necessarily match what you were looking for those are those are our positions that they have sold to vendors to have their particular item put more prominently on the screen. And, you know, I don't find that appealing. When I do a search, I want the results of my search, not uh, some advertising, you know, placement things. To me, that's not a premium um, experience. And I paid, you know, the air quotes here, Apple tax to get a premium experience. Yeah. You know, and I don't want something less than that. Yeah. So, you know, well, App- Apple's got to walk a fine line there because, you know, much like they were trying to make their laptops thinner and thinner and they went to that butterfly keyboard that was a disaster and they, you know, and they wanted them to be uh, simpler and simpler and they got rid of all the ports and everybody eventually screamed and said, no, you've gone too far. And they've now come back. The 
pendulum yeah. has swung back. I'm hoping that they'll do that with the ad revenue, you know, the ads as well, because I understand they're trying to juice the revenue streams, right? They, they're for the stock market. They're trying to continue to say we have, you know, tons of money coming in. But at yeah. some point you've got to say, is that killing other stuff? You know, are there going to be people who will go to buy a phone next time they go to buy a phone go, well, if I'm going to have a bunch of ads on it, I might as well get this Samsung that A, has features that Apple hasn't included yet, and B, I can probably pick up cheaper. Yep. Yep. By the way, just recently at the Super Bowl, Apple let it all hang out with the Apple Presents the Halftime. They did. They sponsored uh, the, the halftime show. Um, and I've seen mixed reviews on the halftime show. Some people said it was the best halftime show ever. Others said it was meh. Um, either way, according to um, those who track these things, it was the most watched halftime show ever. Um, so um, That doesn't necessarily mean that was because it was Apple. No. In fact, it had nothing to do with Apple and probably had much more to do with Rihanna, who was the... the the talent that did the show. Interestingly, too, something that had become kind of a trend in the recent past was you would have somebody do your halftime show and they would then have guest artists on. So there would be, you know, two or three big names on the on the podium at one point or another. She did not. She did the entire thing herself. She basically did like a, a medley of her hits for about 14 minutes. If you're interested, you uh, because Apple sponsored it on Apple TV+, Plus, you can go watch the show in its entirety if you want to. Um, the big reveal was that uh, she said somebody would, somebody special would be joining her. And so the first time they kind of caught her in profile, everybody saw that she is expecting another child. And that's who, who was joining her was her baby. That yeah. was, that was the, the, uh, you know, because because again, it's been a habit of a, uh, of halftime shows to have you know a special guest join them on stage, and it's usually some other star. And yeah. uh, in this case, it wasn't another star; it was it was a little baby. So, what do you mean it wasn't another star? I thought well, he, I thought the, the, the baby might be a star, but we don't know yet. Other than the artist herself, like yeah, I, yeah, I the targeted audience. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a few songs of hers that I know and 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 like, but she's not. Yeah, I mean, I I recognize that she's talented, but it's not not my cup of tea for the most part. Um, I thought that the sound quality was pretty good, which hasn't always been the case. Kudos to Apple or or whoever was involved with making sure that that was the case. Uh, and then the um, the ways they did the stage with the up raising and lowering of the the little platforms out in the middle and i mean they were like 70 feet up in the air there in the middle uh, the, i didn't see the significance of that i thought that was crazy yeah i think it was just to you know they they put they made patterns with it and stuff and it was just to, to entertain you know especially those in the stadium probably thought it looked really cool i looked at it and said no way on earth you could ever pay me enough money to get up there and do that i don't know how much they're paying her but yeah, even I, though they tied rihanna's feet to the floor oh yeah they did that with all of the dancers everybody who was on a platform had like a, a chain hooked around a belt so that they were you know if they were to slip and fall they wouldn't go anywhere um yeah. but i looked at that and went uh uh i'm not a, i'm not a fan of heights so i immediately was like nope not interested don't want to do that i'll bet you they had a lot of refusals to to be on the platforms they had yeah. 
like the first of all get Rihanna to do it. Otherwise, it was all of yeah. Of well, and I'm sure she was working with who you know when she started to put the show together and plan it. That was part of her plan. And then yeah, they obviously they had like a hundred dancers there. So you got to say okay, who's willing to go up on this platform? Who's not uncomfortable about that? Because if you have problems with heights, that's not for you. Although I bet the platform dancers probably got a premium uh, in terms of their pay uh, to do that. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I would think so. But uh, but all in all, I thought it was a good show. I thought the football game was really good, too. I mean, you know, I, I didn't have a horse in the race, so I didn't really care who won one way or the other. Um, but I was just hoping for a good game. And, you know, a game that's tied going into the last couple minutes of the game, you don't get much better than that, you know? Well, I, I, I kind of anticipated that Kansas City might pull it out, although I thought they would be one of the few teams that could. And to me, the coaching in the last two minutes of how to take time off the clock yeah. showed the expertise they had on the sidelines. Oh, sure, yeah, like the running back who ran up to the end zone and then dropped at two-yard line and said, no, I'm not going in. Because he right. knew he could get a first down if he just got inside the two-yard line. So he got there, yeah, and then it, and then he dropped. It looked like he had going to succumb to the temptation because he was barreling down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. No, there are a, nothing if not a well-coached team. In fact, it was amazing how many of the players afterwards, they said, you know, how'd you guys do it? And they said, you know, because I, I play for Andy <laughs> Andy Reid, that's why. You know, that's how we do it. You yeah. know, and, uh, and, you know, nice kudos to him, although I thought Terry Bradshaw was incredibly tacky during the awards ceremony. I don't know if you stuck around at the end there when they were handing out the awards. No. When... Uh, you know, a lot of people refer to Andy Reid as big guy because he's, you know, he, although he's not particularly tall, he's he's somewhat rotund. And oh, I heard about it. Yeah, he I, said, and he turned he turned to the he was talking with like the owner, and he says, "Let's talk to the coach over. Let's talk to the big guy." And he says, "Come on, come on, Andy, waddle over here." And I'm like, "Really? That is incredibly tacky." You know, and then immediately talked about, "Well, you're getting up there. Are you going to retire?" You know, and it's like, "Dude, you just won the Super Bowl." How about congratulations, great game, well coached, you know? Yeah. This puts you in the pantheon with some of the best coaches in history. You've won two Super Bowls. You know, you've won 100 games with two different teams, the only coach ever in the NFL to do that. Uh, but no, no. Waddle over here, you old man. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, they're supposedly really good friends, so I figured that also. And that's and and that's the only only out there is is that they're buddies, and so he's just he's just he's he's just razzing his buddy, and that and then you know then you kind of go okay, whatever you know, because you talk to your buddies different than you would to, but you know what, when you're on screen and in a professional capacity, yeah, you're not really just buddies at that in in that situation. You need to be professional. I thought it was, I thought it was very poorly handled, uh, you know. But, you know, I also think that's part of that sort of Terry Bradshaw's kind of, um, you know, has a homespun demeanor, not well polished. That's sort of his shtick. So, yeah, he, I'm right off the farm. That's where we are. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know what, dude, you've been doing this long enough. You should be you know how to behave more professionally. You just choose not to at this point. You know, you can't you can't plead ignorance anymore. You've been doing this a long time. Yeah. So from both sides of the microphone. Right. So, yeah. By the way, I was going to tell you some of the songs, the MIDI songs. We kind of got away from a, that mm. topic. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was impressed with what was available online. Uh, uh, All I Have to Do is Dream, I have. Mm -hmm. Are you alone? 
Tonight, Beyond the Sea, uh, Carolina in My Mind, Desperado. That's one I've done a lot of editing with. Mm-hmm. Work it out. Dream Lover, Bobby Darren. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I Can't Stop Loving You, an Elvis song. Mm-hmm. I Fall to Pieces, I Walk the Line, In This Life by Colin Ray. Leaving on a Jet Plane, John Denver, Love Me, Colin Ray. So uh, you know, I just found the variety and the songs. Now, these were all songs that I downloaded and listened to and kept. There were a few of them that I discarded after you know, I, I got them downloaded because I wasn't satisfied with the quality of the MIDI. But I was truly impressed with, with most of them. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I do intend to go through and spend more time I listened to two or three of them this morning, just, you know, they've unedited that I hadn't heard in a long time. And I thought, well, that's, that's cool. But they were songs that were actually outside of my vocal range. So I can't use them as accompaniment, which is what I was looking for at the time that I, I brought these MIDI files down. Uh, you know, there's also a karaoke format that you can actually go get things, but right. the downside of those is they're not very authentic in terms of, uh, the arrangements and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do want to add a correction, too, by the way. Uh, Mac Daily News says that the uh, halftime show was the second most watched in Super Bowl history, that uh, the 2015 halftime show with Katy Perry actually had more viewers. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, considering that, you know, you're you're talking about numbers that are way above anything as soon as you put Super Bowl with it sure uh, yeah yeah the, the the audience is huge so it's uh it's a, one of those things where it's kind of an honor to be asked to perform at a super bowl and you know you got to figure i mean you it's basically you're putting in as much effort as you would to set up a tour but you're basically going to do a 12 minute show yeah <laughs> you know and you have to be careful that how you set it up isn't going to tear up the field because I don't know if you noticed, but there was uh, there was a fairly long running commentary during the second half how everybody was having problems with footing, and yeah. the supposition was that something that they did during the halftime show messed up the field. Ah, and yeah, so, well, uh, didn't uh, didn't they change all the shoes on the on the uh, 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 Philadelphia side. Yeah, well, I think there was a whole bunch of like trying, you know, moving around trying to get shoes that had the right kind of cleats in order to to solve the traction problem. But it's like, you know, why is there a traction problem after halftime? What happened? Well, this big show was put on out there on the field. So did that show put something onto the turf that caused a problem or maybe just stages compressing the turf, you know, made it lay down flat and made it slicker? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever it is, they need to figure that out. Well, you know, the in the future, other, halftime show is wonderful, but it's it's not the main reason we're watching. You know. Well, the other part of the night that was really unfortunate is in the fourth quarter there were two uh, places where the officials kind of inserted themselves in the in the outcome almost. Yeah. And you hate to see those happen, but but they did happen. Yeah. And, and as a consequence, there were a lot of really angry Eagles people. Because sure. Well, there's, there's, 
there's, there's been closest to the end, you know. Right. Well, and there's been some murmuring about like there was that um, that uh, was a defensive holding penalty on on one of the guys when that when the when, on a third down when they didn't uh, complete the pass. And then, and they said, you know, if you go back through the entire game, that was happening multiple times and they never called it. And they wait till that point to call it. And the conspiracy theorists are saying, well, the NFL has anointed Patrick Holmes as the new superstar. Tom's Tom Brady has retired and Aaron Rodgers is, you know, off on a, on a dark weekend. And who knows if he's, you know, he's close to retirement and he's not gonna be around for many more years. And so they want to, you know, they want to crown Patrick Mahomes as the new superstar, which means he needs to win another Super Bowl and get another Super Bowl MVP. So they set the game up so that he that would happen. Now, the question is, do you believe that the referees, you know, are complicit in something like that? I don't really. Um, I think that the NFL would be really happy to do that. But I think they'd also be just as happy to have two or three young quarterbacks, you know, being stars, you know? Yeah, I I, I don't believe that that, uh, anointing people ever really works. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the news, the sports news media will – certainly have favorites and talk about them. But, uh, you know, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati and uh, Allen up in uh, Buffalo, um, the what's the guy, the Chargers quarterback, the guy in um, Jacksonville. I mean, they've got some young quarterbacks, all of whom are just phenomenally skillful and talented, you know, and... and was no shove over. He was. He did played a hell of a game. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, and in fact, I think more than more than a few people said they've never seen a quarterback make so much improvement year over year. Because his freshman year in the league, a lot of people were like, "Eh, he doesn't really throw very well. He's kind of like a running back that occasionally throws." And um, you know, and for a guy who's getting over a bad shoulder, he had that one pass that looked like it went fifty yards in the air. And landed between two defenders right in his guy's hand in the end zone. Yep. You know, Brown caught that. Uh, that I mean, that was a phenomenally accurate 50-yard pass. Yep. Um, you know. Yeah, I thought that, that it was everything it was uh, made up to be before the game, you know, and then yeah. some. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. It was a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, anyway... Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and went to bed happy with a grin on my face, uh, thankful that Kansas City managed to pull it out, but feeling bad that uh, there were a lot of other fans who had just as uh, uh, just as good a game. I have to say. Uh, yeah, my my only wish going into the whole thing was that it would be a good game, and boy, was that what it was. You know, yeah. nobody wants to, to, to wait till the end of the season, then have two weeks waiting for the Super Bowl, and then have a blowout. That's just boring, right? You know, I mean, yay if it's your team that's winning the blowout. But other than that, that's, you know, a very small minority of football fans. Most of us just wanted, most of us just wanted a really good game, and, and that's exactly what we got. Um, probably one of the best actual Super Bowl games uh, in, in, in memory, you know, as far as the game. Well, my memory doesn't last too long, but it definitely, definitely was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's you know, and it was um, the 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 refs call there on that uh, the holding call near the end. There's no telling, you know, like if they had not called that, it was going to be fourth and nine at the 35 yard line, which means it's a 45 yard field goal. Uh, the it there's 
super high likelihood that the Chiefs kicker would have kicked it and made it at 45 yards. So then the question is, there was about, you know, just under two minutes left. Well, then would have Jalen Hurts been able to drive down and and get either a tie or a win in that two minutes? And it's baby, you know? Yeah. Baby. Yep. So. Yeah, there's a lot of gotchas in those games where could have gone either way. Yeah. So you put a couple things in the uh, in the rundown here. One of them was Apple execs on M2 chips winning gamers and when to buy a Mac. Uh, you put that in on Monday. I did. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, I got to get, first yes. of all. At 5.41 a.m. my time, by the way. <laughs> okay. What are we talking about again? Apple execs on M2 chips, winning gamers, and when to buy. It looks like there's a guy sitting with a laptop. I don't know. It looks like he's sitting in the side of his van or something looking at yeah. pictures that he just took because he's got a camera there. So I don't know what that photo has to do with winning gamers and when to buy a Mac. But <laughs> doesn't that picture just seem wrong? I don't quite understand what that has to do with winning gamers. That guy's not a gamer. He's a photographer. He's making yeah, adjustments. Like he's making adjustments to a photo, like and he, he's done a sliding door. Yeah, he's open. sitting in he's sitting in the side of a van with and, and the laptop on a, a wheelchair. It looks like he's disabled. Oh, really? Except I think he's just sitting there with a pillow on his lap and his laptop, oh, yeah. looking at photos yeah. that he just took. He's got his yeah. camera in his other hand. Yeah. Doesn't he? Say that again. A game controller in his right hand. That is an SLR camera. With a big lens on it. That is not a game controller. Oh, oh, I see it. Yeah. Okay, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the link, they've got that picture much larger, and you can see what he's doing. So it looks like he's sitting in a van that perhaps he's living out of, and he's gone out and taken pictures. He's got his hiking boots on, and he's got a camera in one hand, and his left hand is looking at photos or doing an adjustment on a photo. Yeah, something like that. Which has absolutely nothing to do with the title of the article. So... Do you remember reading the article? What's it about? Well, it's just fact that now they got lots and lots of horsepower in here, mm-hmm. and so you can do uh, a lot more things. And and the, the gamer uh, uh, businesses uh, are always looking for horsepower to do more and exciting things. So that's, yeah. they're just saying that there's a swing uh, toward the people who write good games away from Windows machines because. They're not even in the ball game anymore in terms of yeah. horsepower. Yeah. So if you want to buy a powerful machine to play really uh, latest technology games, uh, it's all about the M2. Well, it is to an extent. I will say this. Uh, I am not a gamer, as neither are you. But I was listening to somebody who was a gamer, and their point was that it's not so much about CPU but GPU capabilities, and that while um, – the GPUs in the M1 and M2 are are far better than the built-in ones on an Intel processor. They are still not up to the level of processing power that you can get with a standalone um, graphics card in a purpose-built gaming PC. And the serious gamers don't use the gaming, uh, you know, the the Xbox or the or the PlayStations. They use uh, a purpose-built gaming PC, um, 
and that way you can modularly increase your graphics capabilities when newer and faster graphics chips come out. Uh, and there's been a long time. In fact, there's you know Apple had been using the um, what was ATI and became AMD graphics processors because they had a long time feud with the arguably the leader in the graphics industry. And I'm blanking on their name. Dang it. Um, uh, but that's because they the 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 graphics company insisted that you know people use their source code basically to write to the directly to the chips and apple yep. wants everything to go through their their metal interface and so most of the um uh you know apple wants to control the apis whereas the uh, the other company wanted to control access to their hardware you know i mean it's fair they both want their thing but um most of the engines that are used for developing gaming are set up to work through and use those purpose-built GPUs built by the other company and their and their gaming, you know, their their programming interface. So if if Apple's going to win those people over, they need to go to those companies and get them to re-engineer their their uh development environments to write to the Apple GPU space and, through their metal interface. And one of the biggest companies that does that is the company that does Fortnite, and Apple has been in court with them fighting for the last year and a half or two years. So I don't think they're going to get along real well. Well, anyway, uh, I got the impression from the way the article was written in some places that that they have, uh, as part of the uh, enhanced architecture, have improved uh, these the performance of these gaming necessary functions uh, in such a way that... Uh, it's a big gain, and mm-hmm. especially the M2 over the M1, and yeah. that that they're uh, they're heading along a number of paths that uh, will basically dominate in just about every area you can you can. Right. I think now, they're building but, hardware that will be superior. The question is, are they going to be able to to convince, like I said, the companies that 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 build the infrastructure on which the games are built to support their hardware, and they have not historically, and and they've actively been in a court battle with one of those companies, you know, as an opponent. So I think they're... I don't think, I, I don't think they're looking back. For You know, for example, you, you said they have metal. Well, metal is not a static thing. It's metal three now and going onward. And so that's that's when you got to get close to the hardware and be able to really turn it on and so the 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 fact is is that these processors are evolving in every way they possibly can full out they're not holding anything back for later series uh so whatever they've got available at the current time goes out with the upgrade but there's significant program programmatic improvements in just about every arena that's kind of what i got out of this article yeah, no, I, I I absolutely agree. Nvidia is the company I'm trying to think of. But the, you know, Nvidia most of the I guess what I'm saying is most of the companies that write games use a couple different engines underneath those games in order to manage the graphics. And those companies have optimized all of their stuff to run on Nvidia graphics cards. 
and Apple and Nvidia have butted heads and have different interfaces to inter- to integrate their you know their their video. So the question is, can they get those companies to then go back and rewrite their engines to be compatible with with Apple's way of doing things instead of or in addition to Nvidia? And well, and what I'm saying is is that there's basically two companies that 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 dominate that area. And one of them, at least, is is in a very contentious court case with Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the basic, the bottom line is uh, they're depending on hardware from somebody. And there's probably only two pe- people out there, the Intel people who still make chips and, and, you know, designing these basic processors and the Apple folks and uh, uh, the the point of this message is basically uh, because of the the head start that, uh, or actually leap leap forward in time with the M1, and now doubly so with the M2. Uh, you can almost write off Intel stuff anymore. Right, and I guess all I'm saying is is that the real battle is not between Apple hardware and Intel. It's between Apple hardware and Nvidia on the graphics side. That, that most games are much more interested in what you can do for me on, with the graphics processing than they are about the CPU. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, having a better, faster CPU, yeah, that's important. But it's more important that they have, you know, enough graphics cores and enough graphics memory. Well, you don't think that Apple's gives them the cold shoulder. Oh, no. Apple certainly, like I said, I think Apple, quite honestly, is building hardware that if not, you know, it's it's compatible with and superior to in the in the longer run. But in the short run, um, you know, they or, or, or in the I don't want to say software side of it, but sort of in the software side of it, they've got to convince the people that make the tools that, that create these games to support their hardware. And thus far, they have not been successful in doing that. What's you know what I mean? What? What's your evidence of that? The evidence has been that there has been no games available, you know, like the front-end leading games available on Macs ever. And they are immediately available on PCs simultaneous with uh, the Xbox and PS1s or, you know, the PlayStations. Yeah, but don't you don't – you, if, if you were a software – product developer and you saw somebody leaping ahead in terms of your overall tech product hardware technology that would scare the hell out of you you'd be ready to move but if all of the tools you use don't support that they only support these other things then you don't you know you're like well fine i none of us can move because our tools don't support that and if the companies that make the tools that support that are openly antagonistic towards apple yeah, they're antagonistic because they're going to lose their business. That's what they're worried about. No, they're antagonistic because Apple has, like, well, Apple shut down one of their products, uh, kicked it off the Apple Store. Um, they they tried to – basically, the contention is is they had one of the most uh, successful games on iOS. And in addition to making tools, they make some games. And this really, really popular game uh, – you you can spend money to like upgrade your characters in the game 
and they wanted Apple to not take 30% of it. Apple said, tough, that's the deal. And they said, fine, then we're going to set up our own store and let people buy that stuff on ours. And Apple said, then you're not allowed in the App Store and kicked them out. They took them to court. Now, the game company lost one round, but they are still in court fighting each other. They do not like each other. The president of that game company has actively said horrible things about about the the how, how terrible my, uh, Apple is in terms of you know locking down and controlling everything that happens on their on their hardware as if you know they own everybody else's software and we're only you know on the sidelines watching. I'm glad I haven't invested in his company. Yeah. So he he but 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 there's a lot of people in the industry in the gaming industry watching this very carefully and there like I said there's two companies that make these underlying engines that are used by games. The other one also does not support Apple. Now that doesn't mean that they won't and they maybe will see that as an opportunity to jump ahead and gain better market share. That might happen. You know, I can see Apple, you know, talking to these companies, but they're not going to talk to that company and that's the number one company right now. And right now there's basically two. Now, the other thing that Apple could do, and they haven't done this, is they could try to understand the gaming development industry a little bit better and create their own uh, you know, underlying engine that people can code to. But Apple has not shown any competence in that area at all. So unless they choose to buy somebody or hire some people specifically in that area, um, you know, thus far they've not won anything there. So I don't know. We'll see. I think that absolutely – they are building superior hardware. In fact, I, I can imagine that people like Microsoft and PlayStation are going, can we license that from you to put it inside of our games? Because well, that uses less energy. Because part of the complaint with some of these gaming consoles is they get so hot that they, they have to turn a fan on. And the fan gets so noisy, it interferes with your playing the game. Yeah, it sounds like a jet engine landing. Yeah, it says. But anyway, this is, this is all about Apple execs. The title says it all. Apple execs on M2 chips where they are planning to win games and when to buy a Mac. Yeah. So. Yeah, and of course the Apple executives are going to think that, you know, why wouldn't anybody want to use our stuff? It's so much better. <laughs> you know, but but there's there are, you know, a lot of the issues and roadblocks are not technical issues and roadblocks. They are mindset issues and roadblocks. With Apple yep. saying, listen to us, do it our way, and and the industry that has preexisted for quite a while going, but you don't listen to us. We do it this way, and you need to listen to the way we do it. And Apple's going, but do it our way. And they're going, but we already do it this way. And so, you know, the two just need to come together, and, and then I think we could see some cool stuff. Honestly, I would love to see, um, you know, better and more games available on the Mac. I might, you know— buy one of these higher-end games and, and play it a little bit and, you know, might find I like it. But I have no interest in in buying a PC that's, you know, a better gaming machine. I'm not going to spend $400 on a, on a purpose-built gaming machine like a PlayStation because I just don't play enough games, you know. Yeah. If, if I um, – but if I could download something, you know, for 30 or 40 bucks onto my Apple TV or onto my Mac and play it, and then, and then I might find I like it, and then I might be in that industry and, and be willing to buy more. But, but I'm not going to make a $500 investment to find out or more. You know, right. Right. <laughs> that's just too much money to to find out if I like to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there are some games available on the. Uh, you know, they're not the high end uh, games that the that the that the you know hardcore gamers play, but there are games available on the Mac. 
Um, I don't really play those either. <laughs> the Mac or the Apple TV. Yeah, well, so. well, the second side of the story is when to buy a computer, you know. Uh-huh. It, it says you, you probably have relatives asking, you know, well, when is it a good time to buy now? Well, as you pointed out, your brother didn't doesn't look that things that way, and probably most people don't really. Yeah, it's like my computer died. I need a new computer. What's the best one I can get today? You know, yeah. who cares if a new one's coming out but tomorrow? The only I need one. Thing I could really say today is mm -hmm. if there's going to be a new announcement in this arena within a month, you might consider waiting a month. You know. Yeah. Uh, it, most people won't make, wait wait a whole lot further than that. Yeah. Well, and if you use your computer regularly and your computer literally dies, you're yes. not going to wait. You're not going to wait a week. You're going to go That's like, right. what's the best thing I can get to replace that right now, That's so right. that I can stay functional. <laughs> you know. Um, ironically, my brother just did that not long ago. Called me up one day. I think it was on a on a Monday. I got a text from him going, you know, what's the best computer I can get for about a thousand dollars. And I did a little search, and I was able to find him a, an Apple M2 MacBook, the new MacBook Air, for uh, for right at that price point. It was yep. marked down at Best Buy, and I said, and I looked a couple other places, and that was the best price I could get. And I said, go to Best Buy and buy one of these. And he did. He has a uh, a midnight blue M2 MacBook Air, and it's it's gorgeous and it's uh, incredibly fast. And uh, it'll probably be a fantastic computer for him for the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, yep. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm very envious because I don't have an M2 MacBook Air. But uh, <laughs> Well, I don't regret my M1. I yeah. And that's what everybody has said. If you have an M1, there's no reason to go to an M2. The M1 is probably overkill for what 99% of the world uses. Yeah. You know. It's, it's... I, I actually like this, uh, and I'm still learning a lot about this machine, mm -hmm. but I have this bar on here, this programmable bar. Yeah. It's useful for lots of things, mm -hmm. uh, different reasons and different programs. They, that Anything that comes from Apple is using that Apple bar in some pretty sophisticated ways. Yeah, although Apple's phasing them out. It's no longer available on their high-end Apple Pros. Any, you know, so apparently they're considering it sort of a... a um, uh, you know, uh, a, what, it, what, it, when you, uh, drop the value of something, I'm trying to remember what they call it when like they re change code or remove it, but I can't remember the term I want, but they're, they're phasing it out. Um, yeah. but, uh, no, my, my daughter Jensen, uh, very much likes that bar too. She had used it on a friend's computer. And so she has the same computer you have. She needed a new computer. And so she went yep. and bought that exact same computer, uh, right at the holidays when they had a great deal on it. Well, and, I'm glad I'm not thinking about another computer now. <laughs> yeah. Because I couldn't find it anywhere if I wanted one. So, anyway, I guess they have the M2 with the bar, don't they? Uh, they did. They actually upgraded. They didn't change that computer at all. And that's, that's the rumor is that, you know, it's, eventually they're going to quit selling that 13-inch Pro. But I think they sell enough of them that, you know, because I think there's a lot of people who look at that and they look at the Air and they go, eh, it's worth a few hundred bucks more to get that because it's got some more ports and, uh, you know, and they like that bar. There's still some people who really like that touch bar. I think know? they're building a market. You know, maybe there's a stealth way of doing it, but they're building a market for, for the bar. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe there's going to, maybe we'll see it reintroduced or at least be as an option on, on uh, the, the 14 and 16 inch ones at some point. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> but uh, you know, it's um, because I if would you know you like it, then you like it, right? If I were insisting that I needed a 14 or a 16 inch, I would say, hey, if it doesn't have a bar, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, you're used to it, but apparently, a lot of people felt like it. They never used it, and they'd rather have the the function keys back. But yeah. You know, and I've never had a computer that had the touch bar on it, so I, I really don't have an opinion one way or the other. But uh, you know, I think it's one of those where if you know you like it, then you really want it. You know, yep. so that's probably why it still exists as a separate, separate product, is because there are some people who absolutely want that touch bar. Yeah. Um, you know, but when you went to buy that one, you didn't like buy it because it was the only one that had the touch bar, you said, hey, it's a pro that's got good quality, and I think I would like that. You know, the difference between that and the Air is not significant enough that I wouldn't, Well, I know. figured the touch bar was worth 100 bucks. Yeah. You know, yeah, but but you had never <laughs> used a touch bar before, so it wasn't like it was something that you felt like you had to have, but it was there, so you figured, why not, you know? Yeah. I've been curious about it ever since it came out. Right. And yeah. uh, read a few you know, things that were pretty complimentary of it. So anyway. Yeah. Well, especially the second version that, that when the, the first version, the, the only thing on the touch bar other than the touch bar was the touch sensor on the far right for your uh, fingerprint ID, right. uh, touch ID. And then in the second version, they added back in the escape key over on the left-hand side. Right. And the touch bar sits in between that. And that was the big complaint that a lot of programmers have yeah, because they use key. that escape key a lot. And when they took the escape key away, programmers were irritated. <laughs> it's like, no, that I use that key all the time. And so um, the ne very next generation, they came back and put the escape key back in as an actual functioning key rather than just a touch area on the bar. Uh, yeah. And I think that addressed the, the, really the only complaints I heard about it. So. Um, yeah, I'm actually a little surprised that they dropped it because I thought the idea was interesting. So, uh, right. now, now, the next uh, post that I have here, man sells a $38 part bringing USB-C connectivity to the AirPods Pro case. Yeah. Well, I saw that, but I just, you know, I, I don't yeah. know that I want to hack into my device so much just to get USB-C. Well, a hack is easy, is a lot easier now although there's still a risk of breaking the case. Sure. That, so most people won't do it for that reason. But because uh, I, I was just impressed in this, the way this guy did this and all the capability he has took me back in time to when mm -hmm. you were still living at home with me and we were going to computer shows. And yeah. Well, it was a very hobbyist sensibility to it, right? It's like, I want this functionality, so I'm just going to make it. Yeah, I, I thought the guy was really cool, and I could relate to him, uh, the author of the article, uh, a lot. And so that's kind of why I put it in, because I, it brought back good memories. Of yeah. Things, you know, when we used to hack computers all the time. Yeah. In fact, computer uh, clubs were all, all about a bunch of hackers getting together and say, well, what can we try next, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you do this week? Well... You know, I'm I I created a, a a plastic shield in the inside of my thing to vent the air across the CPU to get better cooling, and everybody's yeah. like, "Ooh, cool! Show me how you did that. Do you have a template?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Because that's that's what it was all about in the get in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Computers were open. You had slots to put new things in. It was designed just for hackers. Right. Well, yeah. Well, back. You know. At least that's how we viewed it. <laughs> right. Right. This is this is for me. I can mess around and have fun. 
Yeah. Well, and there were people that would go in and overclock the CPUs, and then you'd have to, you know, jury rig some kind of better cooling because you're overclocking it, so it's going to get hotter. So, you know, but that was that was like the equivalent of of you know gearheads going out and souping up their car, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it was like, well, what can we do to soup it up? How can we how can we make this work better? You know, I think we've talked about it before. I remember when I went and got a. Um, I had a 20 gigabyte or 20 megabyte, excuse me, 20 megabyte hard drive, and you had a 40 megabyte hard drive. Oh yeah. And I went and got a a 30 megabyte that was run length limited controller. So I had a special RLL controller that gave me 60 megabytes. Yeah. You know, and it was just because the controller would write to the disc differently. Yeah. And pick up space, and so I was like, ooh, that was cool. So I remember bringing that home from one of the computer shows yeah so but it was exciting you know we would do that almost weekly at least bi-weekly mm-hmm. uh, and it was all over southern california orange county is where we always went yeah yeah it was computer swap meets and there was literally people standing out under easy ups with tables and, and, and a lot of the stuff i got the sense over. fell off a truck somewhere in air quotes you know? yeah. <laughs> or or a cousin in china would send him a box of stuff and so he'd go down and set up a table and sell it yeah you know it was um yeah uh, although i will say even then you know a lot of those guys you know they had set up a business they were trying to be you know uh you know launching small businesses. I mean, you know, cause I remember I had a, a problem with something I bought from somebody and I had his card and I called him up and he said, okay, we're going to be at this other show this weekend. You want to just bring that one back and I'll give you another one. He swapped it out. They, you know, they honored it. They said, yeah, that one's not good. Well, we'll give you another one. No problem. Yeah. For, for businesses that looked like uh, flaky things, you know, you'd, you'd go out to the show, which sometimes was along an old railroad track, you know. Yeah, I remember the one in Orange County was right out there on the um, next to the railroad tracks. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a really uh, awful locations when you think about it. Yeah. But shoot, you place place to set up a table and a shade to stay out of the sun, and you're in business, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and these, you know, and like I said, you know, you you knew when you were there, you not only ran into people that you knew, but you started to get to know some of the vendors too. So you would kind of like know that, you know, they were yeah. trying. They they knew that if they didn't, you know, if they sold something that didn't work, that they wouldn't be able to sell anything the next week unless they did right by the people they bought it were buying it, you know, because yeah. it was a fairly small community. And I say fairly small. There'd be you know a couple thousand people out there on a weekend. But, uh, but you know, in the greater scheme of the million or so people that live in, in that area, um, you know, you know it wasn't... it's hard to imagine that kind of thing starting up today in, in, in any other business where you had a weekend where there's a thousand people show up in this little small area with a bunch of tables set around. Yeah. Uh, stuff on it, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- there are things like that where you'll go to, um, you know, like harvest festivals and things or there'll be craft fairs where you'll go and there'll be like that. Or farmers markets are very much like that, um, you know, but, you know, and I don't think that they, you know, the computer swap meet type thing exists at all anymore. But, yeah. um, you know, if it is, it's a v- I mean, talk about limited. It's, you know, people doing retro stuff and, you know, trying to maintain old computers. Uh, would be the only ones that would be out there doing that stuff, but yeah. uh, you know it was, it was interesting. It was yeah. a lot, it was real interesting, a lot of fun to sort of 
um, you know, think about like literally we, you know, now you buy more memory and you get this circuit board with all your memory in it. We bought actual memory chips that he, each individual discrete chip plugged into the, into the board, um, yep. initially, you know, I mean, it eventually changed, but, uh, it was, um, you know, so that you get there and you plug them all and then you find out, oops, no, one of those chips is bad. So you go, yep. like, I just need one more of these. Yeah. yeah. It was a different world, but it was a lot of fun. It really was. And and I think I were more than once that we went to actually two shows on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Yeah, was the one in Orange County? We used to go to the one at the uh, Pomona Fairgrounds a lot, too. That's right. Yeah, yeah the uh, L.A. County Fairgrounds um, used to, uh, once a month, they would have a, a swap meet. And then the one in Orange County was usually like two weeks off of that, but also once a month. So, yeah. you know, about every other week you could go to a... all the guys there in L.A. and Orange County areas that were going to these shows would then take off for uh, Vegas mm-hmm. in the spring when they were right in January, early January when they would have Comdex. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Comdex was um, pre consumer electronics show. Well, I guess the consumer electronics show existed at that time, but. Used to be consumer electronics show was mostly like televisions and home electronics, whereas right. Comdex was computers, computer software, computer cables, computer connection well, devices. Well, you they know, jointly held, and you'd go to one building for one and one for the other one. No, and they weren't. So your techies all ended up at the computers. Yeah, Comdex was a separate thing on a separate weekend initially, but then Comdex faded away, and uh, and consumer electronics shows sort of took over all the computer stuff as well. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they were never really run at the same time. Uh, but I will say that, you know, at, in, at its height, when Comdex kicked off, the whole town sold out. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like you couldn't get a hotel room. You had to book it in advance because you couldn't just show up and say, hey, where am I going to stay tonight? Because yep. everything sold out. Uh, you know, and the cons- consumer electronics show was that way too. Although to be honest, I'm not sure it is anymore. You know, a lot of the major players hold their own events now, like Apple. Yeah. You know, Apple and Samsung all do that, so they don't. They're not there at the consumer electronics show anymore. And and then with COVID and stuff, I, I and and the advent of the internet too. You know, it's just a, a lot of times now it's like I would go to Comdex to get information about new stuff. Now I can get that information, you know, at my fingertips on the internet. So why would I want to go walk through a giant crowded right. place to, to ask people questions about stuff? You but, know? but the good thing about wandering around those places was I recall way before any of these uh, nice headphones were released that you and I got the listen to some Bose betas oh, or whatever they were. They Those they, were you, phenomenal. You know, you get to... The they felt so perfect. good on your head. They were just so, they were like this gel type ear pads that were just so nice. Uh, yeah. Remember yeah. when you asked the guy how much they cost? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says, he says, well, they're, they're too high to, to price them even. <laughs> yeah. No, I think he said they were like $1,000. And this was, you know, yeah. 20 years ago. And we both looked at him and went, yeah, yeah they're nice, but not that nice. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, you know, I, I mean, Part of they, what he said. Yeah, those were early noise cancellation things, and they had beautiful 
ceiling against um, external noises. I think they were originally, the, those are eventually became what they were designed for like pilots to wear, you know, because they make those professional type headsets for pilots and stuff. And I suspect that's what those were. Those were early versions of that that like really sealed out the sound and were comfortable to wear for long periods of time. Um, but yeah, they were ridiculously, uh, you know, they, th- that wasn't something that an average Joe was going to buy any way, shape or form. But, right. uh, but man, they were comfortable. Yeah. Those were well, nice. Well, not comfortable with the quality of the sounds. Cause oh, yeah. Controlled and contained. Is, uh, yeah. Anyway, we, we went away with with good memories of how to get good sound. Yeah. Bose was always in the sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least early on, you know, um, lots of good sound. Now, I really think that the, um, the uh, you know, AirPods Pro with, you know, because they seal into your ear with right. the um, the quality of the spatial audio and stuff are just pretty phenomenal for what, you know, for such little tiny earbuds. Um, and I even take them with me when I fly and use those to block out a lot of the noise from the airplane. And they really do a good job of that as well. Do or like when I'm mowing the yard, I put that on to block out the noise. Like they had a hit when AirPods first came out. They had one that really wasn't pods. It was like a headset. That wasn't when they first came out. That was actually the most one of their most recent versions. And they still sell that. That's like $500, though. It's pretty what expensive. Uh, those are the, uh, AirPods Max. Max. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's their, their, uh, so they've got the AirPods, the AirPods 3, the AirPods Pro, and and then the AirPods Max is the over the, over the head, uh, one. Yeah. 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 When it comes to ultimate comfort, nothing beats those kinds of well-designed headsets. Because stick something in your ear, and you always know it's there. You know, yeah. five hundred and forty-nine dollars from Apple for a pair of AirPods. Yeah, you can't lay down and uh, with a with a uh, headset kind of things and yeah. uh, comfortable. Uh, you got to be sitting up. Yeah. And yeah. My, my use of my AirPods Pro is while I'm in bed. I got a head laid on a pillow. Right. Yeah, you don't want this chunk there poking you in the head or the ear. And and sometimes they can get uncomfortable that way too, but generally, you know, you just move a little bit. And yeah. Well, yeah. But yeah, I I feel that way. I I I wear my AirPods Pro occasionally that way and yeah, I feel like they sometimes poke me a little bit in the ear and I'm not a lay on my back sleeper. So, um, you know. Well, they, that's where I lay when I'm using them. Yeah. Yeah. The only time I've ever really slept like that was when I had surgery on my shoulder and my arm was basically strapped to my body so that it wouldn't move. And I had to sleep on my back and I would fall, fall asleep that way and then wake up repeatedly in the middle of the night because my body would want to shift to its more natural sleeping position. And as soon as I moved, the pain in my shoulder woke me up. And so, <laughs> well, don't do that. Yeah. I'm like, ah, crap. And then I fall asleep again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So there was a few weeks there where I, I was a back sleeper, <laughs> not by choice. Um, so, yeah, you know, to go back to these, these, uh, this part to bring USB-C connectivity to your AirPods Pro case. I mean, that's yeah. essentially just giving you a USB-C port to charge because that's all that port on the bottom of the case does. But, right. um, 
you know, Apple is it seems like they're slowly getting there as far as moving stuff to USB-C from Lightning. Like the most recent version of the uh, Apple uh, remote that comes with the Apple TV, if you buy the new one, like you're saying you're going to get the new one, it now charges with USB-C instead of Lightning. Ah. Uh. And so they just changed that. They did it sort of without even announcing it, you know, and and one suspects that they're going to do the same thing with like charging for the uh, the desktop trackpad that you can buy and the Apple mouse, you know. So they're, they're slowly migrating stuff over to USB-C to kind of get everything in line with the standard, which I think is a good thing. Um, and rumor has it because of Europe pushing them, they're going to end up doing that with the phone at some point as well. Uh, you know, they've already moved over the the all of the more modern designed iPads, um, the um, uh, what the iPad nine, which they still sell, but it's last year's model, still has Lightning port. Yeah, but that was what was weird because like the uh, the new iPad ten looks like the Pros. It has the flat sides and it has USB C port, but your iPad pencil it only supports the the first series pencil which requires a lightning port to plug it into to charge it up and you don't have one on your ipad so apparently they i haven't gotten one but apparently they now they ship it with an adapter so that you can plug your thing in and charge up your pencil Uh, and my thought is hmm well wouldn't have been just easier to support the second version of the ipad that does inductive or pencil because it does inductive charging instead of yeah, well, I, I have both pencils because I got in a hurry and got the first one, and then they come out with the second one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I had the first one, and I got it because I had the original, uh, what was it, 8.9-inch iPad Pro. Uh, but then I gave that to one of my daughters, and so I sent the pencil along with that. I figured, you know, I don't need it anymore. Uh, and then I do have a, a version 2 of the pencil that I use with my iPad Air. Although it's one of those things, I don't know about you, uh, if I didn't, if I hadn't already bought it or like if they come out with a third version of the pencil, I probably won't buy it. I don't use it enough to justify spending a hundred bucks on it. Same, same with me. Yeah. You know, unless you, you know, you really get into one of those art type apps where you do. Yeah. Yeah. If you do a lot of drawing or if you use it to sign like, uh, electronic forms and stuff. Yeah then it makes sense. But I don't really do either of those enough. And the few times I sign an electronic form, I could probably just use my finger. It's just, you know, I get it. It's a great technology. It's wonderful for those who need it. But I bought it mostly because I wanted to play with the technology and see what it did, not that I needed to use it regularly. And so I, my pencil, uh, I have to kind of remember where I put it. I've got like a place that I put it because otherwise... When I do want to go grab it, it's going to be gone, you know, because I don't leave it attached to my my iPad. It'll fall off. Right. Because I use my iPad a lot. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, it's like, eh. you know, unless there's something that comes out with, you know, if they come out with a third version that just says something phenomenal that I, you know, really feel like I need, I can't see me buying another pencil anytime soon. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about Apple Watch having a camera? Yeah, there was that uh, thing from Patently Apple, and you showed an article about them putting possibly putting a camera in it. Well, it looks to me like of dubious use, and the way they're showing it here is that it's effectively like on the end of a loop on the watch band 
Yeah, it makes no sense to me. Well, but I, in a sense, I can see why it would be that way so that you could aim the dumb thing. Because if it's on the watch itself, how on earth are you, you have to like turn your wrist almost completely, you know, your your palm towards your face in order to get the the watch pointed at something. Yeah. You have to have a flexical optical fiber that somehow comes from your phone Yeah, up to this, you know, however long they want to make that piece. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, the, the drawings that are in here with the patent to me look look of the wristband. Yeah, they just look unrealistically goofy to me. Yeah. You know, that would be a very unstable platform for you to mount a camera on. Yeah. You know, and the idea of putting a loop behind it to kind of prop up the end so that the camera can and point. Tell me how you how you put your telephoto lens on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, or even how do you know? You, you So you're holding your wrist up to take the picture. Then do you hold it low enough that you can also see then the, the, the screen of the watch? You can see what it is you're taking a picture of? No. You, know? you, you see, I think that ultimately if you want to take a picture, uh, you need to put the old camera back on, on something that's more stable like a pair of glasses a la Google. <laughs> yeah. But you just wear the glasses for that purpose because nobody wants you taking pictures of them when you're just standing there or walking down the street, right? Yeah. Well, or, you know, imagine, you know, they've talked about like, you know, making glasses look like regular glasses so you can just put your prescription lens in and use them. Well, you know, do you want somebody walking into, you know, a public restroom wearing glasses on their face? Yeah. <laughs> while you're in there? I don't. You yeah. know, it's like that, you know, it just seems to me. <laughs> We we really need to to set some boundaries both socially and legally as to where you're allowed to put cameras and when you're allowed to have them out. And then when they mount them on things like, you know, glasses or even on your phone for that sake, it's like you're not allowed to have those out in a public restroom or and that's the one I go to. But there's probably other places, too. You know, you sit and think about it. You could probably find a multiple of places, you know, just say that's not appropriate. It should not be socially or legally acceptable. Yep. You know? Yeah. Well, the the problem is the phones are have and have been out there for a long time that a mm-hmm. lot they use them in ways that uh, yeah, are, people don't think twice, you know, not appropriate, you know, you know, I mean, I was at a football game and everybody's standing in line waiting to get up to urinals and half the people had phones out. And I'm like, really? It's kind of tacky, <laughs> you know. Hey, smile, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bunch of bunch of drunks at a football game, though. You're not going to like pick a fight. <laughs> People got their adrenaline going because their team's either winning or losing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, don't, I, it just, I don't know. I, th- I think that our technology, and it's not the first time this has happened. I mean, I, you know, there, you can go back hundreds of years, and technologies at that point in time outpaced the social norms of society. You know, they always trail behind the technology. Oh, yeah. Because you've got to get the technology out there where the society is using it before you can then develop, you know, norms and expectations around the use of that technology. You know, I mean, when they first first cars came along, they drove them wherever and whenever they wanted. We eventually, you know, created some rules around, you know, driving on one side of the street versus another and and, uh, you know. 
Uh, but I, tell you, I don't think our society is ever going to come to some agreement on moral norms. There's just totally uh, uh, broad difference between one side and the other in terms of morality. Well, you know, I think there were some, some, you know, the closest we ever came was probably when we were first, first broke away from England. And, and there was sort of what they called, you know, the Judeo-Christian standard, right? Yeah. But, uh, but uh, even then, if you went and tried to talk specifics, I think you would probably find great variances amongst people as to what yeah. they think is appropriate versus the next guy, right? It's like, right. in a general sense, okay, we all agree, you know? You don't go and, you know, kill somebody for fun, right? That's morally wrong. <laughs> but but then, you know, you can go the other way and say, you know, it's, who has the right of way when you cross the street? It's different in different states, by the way. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, well, I thought driving down the sidewalk was okay this last weekend. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know. And yeah. and then there's, you know, no accounting for the the, you know, massive number of people. I mean, we, when you get millions and millions of people, being one in a million is not that difficult. And yes. and that one in a million guy can have mental illness of some sport, sort. There's a yep. lot of people out there who do, yep. you know. So, um, you know, it's society marches forward. Um, I think – I don't know if I shared it with you, but uh, I uh, – no, it doesn't look like I did – I uh, was listening to a podcast the other day, and I really liked – no, I did. I think I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. I shared you the the uh, Charles C.W. Cook podcast where everything is awesome, right? Yeah. And I don't know if you listened to it, but the guy um, – I wrote your response. Yeah. The guy – yeah. It's – ironically uh, – I well – it's hard to comment on something that long, but it, it is. And quite frankly, I read it. You know what? Your 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 response was at two forty five. I sent it at one forty four, and I had finished listening to the podcast at noon. So it was now three hours later. So most of what you read or what you wrote didn't make any sense to me at all because I didn't really remember the details of all of the podcast. Like, and you used an S O U address. You said S O U. I have no idea what that means. State of the Union. Oh, okay. State of the Union. Okay. Yeah, and and most of what I was talking about within the podcast really had nothing to do with the State of the Union or something. They talked about that a little bit. What I was talking about was just the guy and the fact that, that he was trying to focus on positive things, and I really kind of enjoyed that. Um, and he just published a book that's called Everything is Awesome. You know, and he realizes that the world has thing, has troubles, too. But um, I really like the website. I went to the guy's website and... Uh, um, found that, um, it's, you know, it's very, it, it's called humanprogress.org, by the way. If you go to humanprogress.org, it's a news site, but the news is trying to take positive spins on things, you know, oh. like they used CRISPR to eliminate heart damage in mice after a heart attack. And it's like, Hey, that's pretty cool because that's the first step in eliminating damage to hearts after people have heart attacks. You know, they're able to do it for mice. So can they now, you know, scale that up? Um, they also showed that a, uh, a human rat brain hybrid shows a way to cure blindness. Um, you know, and so just really interesting. I mean, one thing you've talked about is vertical farming. They've got an article on vertical farming showing promise and how to feed the world. You know, and it's just like I'm really happy to read some articles that aren't doom and gloom. Yeah. And so this thing is filled with 
recent articles and research and studies and showing things that are better and better. He, in one of the articles, they make the case that, you know, like um, Jane Goodall is his preaching that we need to you know, reduce population because population is going to use up all of our resources. And he points to a whole bunch of different reasons why that's exactly wrong, that the the solution to almost every problem humans have ever faced is application of technology. And that that's what sets us apart from the chimpanzees that she studies is that we can apply technology and that by having more people, we have more good ideas and more solutions to our problems. And that, that, trying to reduce us back to the population of 1500 which is what she literally has said uh is is flat out insane well let me let me tell you why these arguments are are coming out now the way they are and it has everything to do with this climate change thing and cutting back on on the energy total energy sort resources available to mankind uh, if you plot the energy availability over the the uh Long periods of time. It's only recently, and I'm talking maybe a hundred, you know, hundreds of years or less, uh, or a few hundreds of years, uh, that we've been had massive amounts of energy uh, for the population, and that's where a primary driver on why we are where we are today. Absolutely, and, so, and that's the point he was making. Is is that yeah. that you know, I mean, you know, if you turned us back to the population of 1500. Uh, which was less than a billion, and we're at eight billion now. It was like half a billion. It says, you know, we wouldn't even have enough of uh, a labor force to make most of our our technologies go. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's it's just flat out nuts to think that yeah. we're going to zero population. He says, you know, in the sci-fi uh, movies, in Marvel movies, Thanos, the bad guy, wanted to wipe out half of the people in the universe in order to to uh, minimize the effect of population on limited resources, you know? He wanted to wipe out half. Jane Goodall just suggested that we wipe out 17 eighteenths. 17 out of every 18 people should go away. And she's not saying kill them, but she's saying we need to continue to reduce our population till then, you know? And, and, and the article made a really good case for we don't want to reduce our population, you know? I mean, we don't necessarily need to... To continue to grow it, but that that the that the best resource in the entire universe that we know of right now is human ingenuity, and we need more humans to be more ingenious. You know, when I heard that story, I said the guy's been listening to Jordan Peterson. Peterson's been out there a lot longer with a much bigger audience for a long time, and I, therefore, mo- many of the ideas that were, were I heard in here came directly out of Peterson's talks. Well, this guy is uh, works in the Cato Institute, which is a bunch of libertarians. And, um, yeah. and a bunch of liberals will be very upset to hear that it's largely founded and funded by one of the Co- uh, Koch brothers. Um, but uh, but this, this branch of it works independent of, of the Institute, and their basic focus is... is um, Positivity and and uh, you know betterment of humankind, and you know I just like that. I like the fact that I can go somewhere and read positive things and feel good yeah. about it. <laughs> you know, and because yeah. because we're just barraged with news. Excuse me, which I get it's headline grabbing, but it's always bad news. There's never headline grabbing. Wow, this is great. 
you know? Well, I, I, I have a counterbalance for that. I listen to a lot of Catholic and, and religious, not, not all Catholic, but uh, Judeo-Christian, because I have a Jewish guy I listen to as well, uh, talks. And, and, of course, all of that's positive-oriented. Mm, okay. <laughs> I'm saying I have heard plenty of religious things that don't sound particularly positive to me, but um, but uh, certainly there is a a positive and hopeful spin on a lot of things that are faith based, and that's um, you know I think we need that in our life. We need Absolutely. you know some 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 positive direction, whether it be through faith or you know I mean uh, personally I think that it, you know faith based things. Um, need to be funded and need to be paid attention to. And there's a lot of people out there who, who don't have that in their life. And I think they're, they're poorer off for it. Um, but you know, there are also like, like I said, this, in this particular case, it's just a, a secular source of, Hey, here's some really good things that are happening in the world. Not everything is awful, you know, yep. <laughs> pay attention to some of the good stuff too. You I, know? I think that's, that's where Jordan Peterson gets a lot of his audience too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's he he basically does both sides though. He shows why a lot of these liberal ideas uh lead to bad things. Well, this isn't just talking about in fact, they don't even mention, you know, um liberal versus conservative ideas or or know. you know, and there are a lot of conservatives who would say most of the Republican Party isn't even conservative right now. Uh, yeah. you know, they've been spending more money than the liberals when they were in charge. So, you know, it's it's, but there are a lot of just the way the news is structured, whether it be, you know, MSNBC or Fox, they're headline grabbing. And so what they're doing is they're talking about things that can sound wild and fantastic and horrible. And you need to, you know, be aware. And, and, and so that's just all we hear all the time. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you have to work to get something else. So, mm-hmm. you know, well, just thank nice you for it. I enjoyed the talk. Uh, I, I thought that there was, it was good about bringing up a lot of issues, but didn't answer many of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, but again, he's, he's on a podcast for a few minutes, so he doesn't have, you know, doesn't offer many solutions there, but there are more solutions offered in other, other places. And, and, you know, I mean, if you want to get more into it, you can read his book, uh, which is only $9 on Kindle. If you want to buy the e-version, by the way. It was like $35 in print, but I looked it up. I haven't bought it, but I looked it up. Uh, mm-hmm. And I say him, and now I can't remember the name of the guy that was on the podcast, and it doesn't show it here. Uh, see if I can bring yeah, it up. It show his podcast address. I didn't. I'm yeah. Yeah. He, the, yeah. It was at, um, uh, I guess it's uh, National Reviews, the source of the podcast. This is the Charles C.W. Cook podcast, and he did a really poor job of of helping market this guy other than he mentions it once or twice. Right. And that was yeah. about it. Um, uh, and I'm trying to look and see if it even. Uh, yeah. Cause cook's the yeah. guy do the interview, right? Right. Yeah. He's the, he's the, the host and yeah. he does like a, a, I say weekly, but I think he's actually done. Sometimes he does two a week uh, podcasts. He used to be on a podcast with somebody else regularly. And the other guy took a job where they wouldn't let him do the show anymore. And so, uh, Charles Cook is now doing it on his own. He launched his own version of it. Um, but he's a, 
um, you know, he's National Review, so it's primarily a conservative kind of slant yeah. on things, although he's an avowed libertarian as opposed to a conservative directly. He's a uh, immigrant from the U.K. He's been in the U.S. for 10 or 12 years, and he lives in Florida. Um, I just like listening because he's got the accent. (laughs) (laughs) Now, he's got some interesting opinions, and quite honestly, I find myself having a little bit more of a libertarian than, you know, specifically conservative bent as well. And so very often I find myself agreeing with him. Um, it's interesting to listen to him on the National Review podcast because there's a group of people in there, and sometimes I find myself disagreeing with his per- position just because, you know, it's you don't want to listen to just people that you um, always are in lockstep with, right? So, uh, Well, I, uh, I, I like a, a big strong point about libertarianism is subsidiarity, and that's also consistent with the Catholic philosophy of, of society. So, in that sense, I I find that very very. De- define the term that you get things you done at the lowest level. Subsidiarity. Yes, De- subsidiarity is all about getting ever do everything at the local local level. In other words, if the family mm-hmm. can't get it done, then you branch out a little bit to the neighborhood. And right. Families can cooperate, and and what you can't accomplish together, you get to a next higher level county city. Yeah, you know, it's sort of level. minimal required government intervention in each in each instance, right? And the only thing that makes it clear to the top is something that it takes all of us to participate in, you know? Yeah, yeah. And to me, yeah. that's a strong uh, thing, and, and there's a lot of rationale for why you should do mm-hmm. it that way. So I, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, yeah, and he pre- he presents that in in you know in the conversations more so on the National Review one because they talk about you know topics of the day more specifically, whereas he tends to like pick one topic per episode for his podcasts or one guest that focuses on something. So, which is more typical when you've got you know like one guy as a host, um, different structure. The other one I like to listen to is Left, Right, and Center, which is a PBS uh, out of Santa Monica. And uh, that one's nice because they always have somebody who is uh, conservative, somebody who is uh, liberal, and then the host is supposed to be the center, although they tend to be center-left most of the time. And uh, But, you know, it's, it's a conversation about current topics, and you hear, you know, one side says something, the other side will then, you know— either agree or disagree or call them out on things that they think they said that were maybe not accurate. And, and, and they do so without shouting and screaming at each other, which is, you know, pleasant (laughs) to say the least, you know, it's not like, uh, like what, who was the guy that used to do that TV show on weekends and you go, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the fact that podcasts exist uh, because of the internet. Uh, They are uh, the only way that you really have discussions and you can have instant feedback from people. And so, uh, you know, radio, television, all these other things fail in that regard. And, th- and that's a big negative yeah. uh, for any kind of a public uh, presentation. Uh, w- one is, is that I have a, an aversion to long programs, even long podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That said, you and I do horrendously long podcasts sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, we, I know we do it as well, but I have yeah. a great, much greater tendency to listen to a podcast that's less than thirty minutes than I do to one that's over. Yeah, 
See, and an hour, an hour and a half doesn't bother me because I usually watch it spread over time because I usually or watch it, listen to it because I do yeah. most of my listening when I'm driving. And so when I drive into work, drive home from work, I get 20 minutes of it a day. And I don't care if it's like, you know, done with that one and I move to the next one or if I just pick up where I left off. And that's the beauty, beauty of audio. You don't need video for most things. Yeah. Only time that you have video, uh, and it, it's essential, is if you have a group meeting of people and to hold everybody's attention, you, you have a video. It doesn't add yeah. a lot, typically. Uh, well, it's funny because some podcasts are available as YouTube as well, and you tune them in, and it's just like three faces, and they're talking to each other. And you're like, okay, I can imagine that in my head the next time I'm listening. I don't really need to watch this ever again. <laughs> right. You know? It's right. like, really? That, that's, that's what the video is, is just your face talking. But you're, if you're by yourself listening to anything... Uh, Typically, you don't need video. Yeah. Now, video can add. There's some things that... Sure. Uh, if well, you listen to some uh, pod... Let's say it's a, a, a video, uh, you don't get it all because a lot of, of the content is contained on somebody's charts. Right. If see. they're talking about a chart or a picture or, hey, there's this new car and, you know... But what a lot of people don't do with their podcasts, and this bothers me because there's some that do it and do it well, uh, is that the artwork that you post with your with your podcast, the default artwork, you can right. replace that, and you can replace it for specific segments of the podcast oh. so that you can show sta static photos. There's not a way to show video, but built within the RSS feed, I can change the artwork. And so if we're talking about a photograph, I can actually display that on the screen of the podcast app while we're talking about it. Ah, that's good. And then when we're done talking about it, I can go back to the default artwork or I can put something else up. And some podcasters do a really good job of doing that and others should but don't, even when they're talking about something that visually would be helpful if you could see what they were talking about, Yep. you know? And so I try to do that. If we talk about something that's visual, I try to go grab the image and stick it in there during the time we're talking about it so that those who who are listening can see what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, yep. I mean, it's like, can you imagine doing a podcast about art or about photography and you're talking about a photograph and describing it to somebody and they can't see the dang photo? That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> well, we do some of that. Too, you know, <laughs> we do, and like I said, I try to embed the image when we talk about it. Yeah, you know, assuming it's not a copyright image that I'm not allowed to, you know, reproduce. Right. But, uh, but otherwise, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like it's really difficult to, to describe. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, difficult to decide what the uh, end users' needs are, but frequently, if I have a podcast that I uh, listened to and really liked, I would like a way to just push a button and get a text translation of everything on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like YouTube's doing that with their videos now. They're doing um, AI created um, subtitles. So yeah, if somebody I, doesn't have to go in and listen and type it in. It's being created on the fly. Yeah. Vid video is is, as I said, only useful if you have a participation of, uh, let's say, half a dozen or more people uh, in the... Well, in the meeting context, oh. video is very useful if you're trying to talk about or, sh or or discuss visual things. 
video or at very least still pictures is very useful for that. So there's, yeah. it's more than just group things. But, yeah. but I mean, the large, obviously, I mean, podcasting is booming largely because, you know, chat conversations don't require that most of the time. Right. You know? Um, so there you go, you know? Yep. Uh, and you I, can, we get close to quitting here. I did send you a picture of, uh, well, in fact, uh, several actually talked about old technology yeah. albums. Money. Oh, old technology. Before that, you sent the thing about albums that were worth money. Yeah. Right. Yes. So I did. there's now, a there's a Beatles white album that was originally printed on white vinyl. So if you have the white vinyl version of the original print pressing, uh, one of them just sold for seven hundred ninety thousand dollars. But yeah. and then Bob Dylan's Freewheeling, of which we do have a copy because you bought it and I've got it. Uh, mm-hmm. But apparently there were some pressings that apparently they they pressed the wrong songs onto it, and That's so it. so they then sent out a separate version that had different ones. I have not checked to see if the one we have has. The, it doesn't have those songs. I know those, that album by memory almost. Yeah, that's and what I was thinking too. Yeah, yeah. But that the ones that they those few that they released with the other songs on it, if you have one, they're worth about thirty five thousand dollars. It says. Yeah. Any any uh, product that had an error in it that you released a few copies of, yeah. those few copies have enormous value. Yeah. Same thing with like coins and stamps. That happens a lot of times with things that are printed or pressed. Is like the early ones, there were some errors, and they get out the door, and then they're worth a lot of money to collectors later on. Like a first pressing of Elvis's first ever recording is worth $300,000. It was a little forty-five from Sun Records. And you've got several of those things, but I don't know if you have that one. Yeah. Well, uh, the That's All Right thing here, it said here, was uh, that was kind of his first one. And uh, for the first time ever, I, I knew about Arthur Crudup who was the black blues uh, singer mm-hmm. that was local to uh, right. the around. He had Delta. originally recorded that, right? Yeah, I went and listened to it. It's on Apple uh, Music. Mm-hmm. So go look up uh, the singer being Arthur Crudup. And mm-hmm. by the way, this particular song, That's All Right Mama, uh, sounds like he, uh, Elvis just sang it as he wrote it. There was not much addition to it at all. Yeah, Yeah, he just did it the same way. Yeah. Was, wasn't a whole lot of changing. Some of the stuff later on, you can see he took some songs that, uh, as, as many of the black artists complained, he just took their songs. But in some cases, he, you know, they sped it up or changed the arrangement a little bit. In this case, not so much. Well, you know, the sad thing about Arthur Crudup, I went further and looked at the Wikipedia description of his life. All his life, his, he was poor, never made any money off enough off of his music to even support a family. Wow. He died without, you know, basically penniless. Uh, and there were lawsuits, basically, for royalties and stuff that mm-hmm. were promised him by the record companies he recorded with, and they just refused to pay them, just challenged him in court, and, he, you know, he never had the mm-hmm. money to pay to challenge. You know, to- Yeah, well, that's a sad story of a lot of people who come up against a corporation that just says, sorry, you know. I mean, I, I hate to point fingers, but that's one of the things that's been leveled against uh, Donald Trump. He hires companies to do things, and when they've done it, he then comes in and says, well, you didn't do it quite the way I said, so we're just not going to pay you, and they don't get paid. And it's like, take him to court. Well, he's got a lot more money than you do. Good luck. You know, 
And what do you do? You know, and it's not just him, but I mean, I know that's one of the things he's been accused of as a business person, or at least Trump Industries has been accused of. So, uh, hey, let's move on. There was another thing that apparently if you have one, uh, you can get a lot of money, and that is an original iPod. Now, this is the original one that had buttons and an actual mechanical click wheel, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're saying that they're... uh, uh, going from anywhere from a couple thousand to up to almost $16,000 for these things. Uh, yep. Obviously, the closer to to pristine condition it is and still working condition is uh, worth more. I never oh, had one of those. This one. Did I, you never, have- I never had one of those. The first one I ever got, they had already gotten rid of the mechanical buttons and had turned it into uh, a touch surface. Uh, a cir- you know, yeah. circle so that there, I mean, the button in the middle was still a button, but the four buttons around the perimeter had been removed and that was now just uh touch sensors. Right. Um, and, and they did that, I think, you know, almost within a year that that was done pretty quickly because, you know, buttons that get pressed a whole bunch wear out very quickly. And so, um, you know, that design was modified pretty quickly, but, uh, you know, it's funny because people say, oh, there's never been anything like the the iPhone. And they're right. There hasn't been anything like the iPhone in terms of total sales and stuff. But there have been some products, namely the iPod, that moved to dominate the industry they were in. I mean, that basically set Apple up to go to do the iPhone. You know? Yep. Oh, I the mean, iPod was important when it happened. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's pretty amazing when you think about it that one company developed the Macintosh. Granted, it was based on stuff that they had seen from Xerox Park, but they made a a commercial version of a computer that worked with a graphic, you know, front end on it. Yeah. And was phenomenally different than anything that existed prior to it. You know, Windows jumped out the door very quickly. But even that, if people if people looked at the first version of Windows and looked at the Mac, you would look at those two and say, they're not even the same ballpark, you know? Yep. I mean, it wasn't until Windows 95, almost a decade later, that they actually had a, a, a working graphical interface on the Mac, or on the PC, rather. Um, By the, the way, you know, I, But then the I, iPod and the iPhone. I mean, it's just phenomenal products. Way back... When and I, you know, I've lost so many things along the way from moving, but I had an original Windows uh, books that came with the software that you got, the original mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. And I yeah. bought them. I bought them at one of those computer shows just because I, they were original Windows stuff. Mm-hmm. Now this was before '95. Yeah. But I bought them with the idea that they'd be worth something someday, and then of course lost them when we moved somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea where they went. You know, I, so I was thinking about that the other day. And I said, "Well, there goes another investment. I don't think I paid much for them." You know, yeah, because they didn't last long. Well, and, I think it was one of, the, if not the first, it was one of the shortly thereafter the first uh, packaged boxes of five and a half inch floppy disks, and and these uh, they were like cloth bound three ring binders for Microsoft Office. I went yeah. to I went down app uh Microsoft had an event at the um uh on Hospitality Lane in San Bernardino uh at one of the hotels and I went down to the event 
I can't remember how I found out about it or got an invite, but I went down there. And while you were there, they offered Microsoft Office for like $100 or something. And at the time, it was selling for like $500. And so I bought a full legal copy of, I say legal copy because I had lots of illegal copies early on of stuff. Uh, but I had a full legal copy of the most recent version of Microsoft Office. So that was that was pre-access. So it was just uh, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. But uh, it came in these nice, like I said, cloth-bound three-ring binders that were sort of square. They were like nine inches square or something. They weren't like eight and a half by 11 size binders. Um, and I had those for a long time and hung on to them thinking, you know, they might be worth something someday. And of course, those are gone. I'm sure I tossed them in a move somewhere and said, you know, why am I keeping these stupid old pieces of software that I can't even run? Who has a five and a five and a half or what was it? Five and a quarter inch. Yeah. Five and a quarter inch disk drive even anymore. So, but, uh, you know, now that I, now looking back, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe somebody would think that was cool and spend some money for it. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Anyway, think back of the fun fun times we had with the early stuff. Yeah, yeah. The early stuff was, you know, it's like any industry when it's first starting up. It's just, you know, every everything is new and exciting. Every, you know, around every corner is a um, a new way of doing something, a new way of thinking. There's innovation happening, you know, almost weekly. Um, you know, and then because there really wasn't, you know internet or, or any way to find this stuff out, you know, you, you got, you found out what was going on by monthly magazines, um, uh, you know, or word of mouth, you know, you'd go to one of these computer shows and you'd talk to people and then you find out, oh, they've released that thing that we were talking about, you know, a month ago, you know, who's got one. And so you'd go find which table they had. Events on Saturdays, we, we knew if we just drove down to Orange County, we'd find the signs along the road somewhere and uh, say, saying how to get to the place. Yeah, you just get to the basic area and you could find it. You know, there's crowds of people on a Saturday. <laughs> advertising at, uh, after a while, we just we just decided to go. Yeah, yeah. No, well, and when you were at one, if you went to one, they would usually then have somewhere on the way in or out a sign up saying when the next one was and where it was going to be. So, right. you know, you could check that so that you kind of know, you know, but if you got out of sync and you weren't sure where it was, then you could, you know, show up. The one at Pomona, you could usually um, uh, find out what was going on over the fairgrounds. Right. Um, but, you know, the other ones, they were literally just pop-up things. Like that one in Orange County went to was hosted by a little electronics shop that was down there. Well, there were you a know. couple stores that were pretty large. Yeah, Micro Center wasn't far away, so we'd go over to the Micro Center. And that's still there. You know, that yep. chain still exists. Huh. Um, I always remember going to the, to the swap meet and then going over to Micro Center and going, everything here is so expensive. Because you could get it so much cheaper over at the, you know. But they had things that you couldn't get at the swap meet, too. So, I was trying to remember the name of that big store we used to go to uh, uh, just off of the 91. Fries. Fries. They're yeah. Still nope. They, the, the entire chain went out of business uh, through COVID. COVID. They were a COVID victim. Oh, wow. Yeah. Be- and they had stores in San Diego, Las Vegas. Um, you know, they were spread all around the West and they are gone. No more fries. 
Wow. And fr fries is interesting because you'll even see them in movies where they walk into what is clearly supposed to be like a fries. And fries were these giant warehouse type stores. And, you know, in one corner there would be, you know, a thousand TVs of different kinds. Another one would be like refrigerators and vacuums and dryers. And then in another spot, there not only would be computers, but there'd be a section where they would sell you like chips and soldering irons and you know, so you could get as granular as you wanted or get as high level as you wanted when it came to electronics and consumer goods. By the way, I wanted I had a, a prehistory to that prize store there in Anaheim, and that was I I had a contractor which was the Autonetics division of Rockwell International. Mm -hmm. That was uh, one of my Air Force contractors. And when I first started <clears throat> managing that contract and went down there for a meeting, uh, we had uh, a uh, they had a mock up of the uh, the uh, Minuteman missile and uh, the components that we were going to put in it for some testing. And it was in that same building when it was a kind of like a hangar building, you know. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Well, that's what they they yeah those giant open warehouse space. Yeah, and this big old. Minuteman, there was more than one missile in that building, but we focused on the one that was just inside the door. But anyway, I, I always thought, remembered that whenever I went to Fry's because that was my first time into that building was was there to see uh, uh, some military hardware. And uh, mm -hmm. so I thought it was really cool. And in fact, they did the buildup of the of the missile that was actually ultimately tested at Vandenberg. They did it there, and then, mm -hmm. then put this thing, massive missile, on a truck and hauled it out to Vandenberg. Drive it up, yeah, yeah. And at the time that that thing was launched, it was so important that I got access to the uh, Boeing Control Center in Downey, California. You know, I don't know if you remember, but a lot of the space and missile things, even launchers to the moon. Uh, had involved Boeing uh, one way or another because mm -hmm. they, had, uh, they had the ability to integrate all this stuff. Right. And, uh, anyway, they had a, in addition to the Cape Canaveral thing, a lot of the launch control uh, and, uh, you know, once the, the mission element was in the, in a orbit uh, from there, it was handed off to the people in Downey because they had the big satellites sitting there in Anaheim uh, on the same, uh, uh, grounds as this big control center and talk about impressive that control center had all these uh, gigantic scopes and stuff you know that people you know hundreds of people sat around monitoring different parts of the mission uh, anyway I, I got to visit that control center one time and I thought wow this is really neat and it was for that launch uh, launch of that missile out of uh, Vandenberg yeah no, this is the kind of thing you remember forever, right? That's that's oh, yeah. impressive yeah. things. And and well, and you know, I mean they still do it uh, occasionally, but I remember, you know, in Southern California when they're doing launches out there, you can go, you know, see the 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 stream behind it when they yep. launch, especially if they launch in the evenings as the sun goes down, the sun lights it up. And so you can see see when they're testing rockets and stuff out here. That's one of the cool things about being here. You get to see the rocket launches. So. Well, I still have a video somewhere where I took uh, I, I was at uh, uh, your place there. Uh, uh, I, I guess it was Ellen's at the time. Mm -hmm. She and and we were leaving and to go home, and we saw this uh, 
as I turned the corner, just happened to be in the right direction, I looked up in the sky, I could see all this this, this uh, missile coming, you know, mm -hmm. and I stopped in time to get a picture of the, the, the thing. Oh, moving. yeah, I remember you showed me that picture. Yeah. I probably sent you a copy of that. Yeah, I know. I, I remember seeing the picture. I remember you sharing it. Yeah. But what was neat is that after dark, you didn't see the missile. All you saw was the, the flames out the back. Yeah. And so the flame thing moving along. Yeah. Well, and the trail, <laughs> the trail of, of um, smoke and contrail, you know, out behind it. Yep. So, yeah, it can be very impressive looking. It's like I said, especially at the right time of night when the sun's going down, you get these, well, these pretty sunsets and then this, this interesting like line through it. So well, the other thing is, you know, we're, uh, that location was hundreds of miles from Vandenberg, but mm -hmm. that missile looked like it was so low. It was just amazing. Yeah. It, at night, especially, you know, because it mm -hmm. lit up so much. It yeah. Was so bright. Yeah. You can really see it. Yeah. So I will say too, you know, as big as that Fry's building was, or is the building is still there, it was dwarfed right next to it. They built a giant Kaiser Permanente Hospital, and well, literally right up next to it is a five-story high parking structure. <laughs> so, so it's funny because that was a huge building, and it looks tiny compared to the parking structure and the giant Kaiser that they built there. Wow. So. Um, but yeah, unfortunately fries is gone and that's, it, it saddens me because I used to, you know, when I went that way, I almost always would like say, Hey, let you know, if I was by myself, my wife would roll her eyes if I tried to get her to go, but I would stop in and just walk through. You know, it was just like, I liked, I liked fries and there was cool stuff, you know, yeah. they, they also had, I mean, now who buys CDs, who buys records, who buys DVDs, but they also had huge collections of those. You could even go still buy vinyl if you wanted to. Um, they just had Everything you could imagine that plugged into a wall and used electricity. It was just, you know, <laughs> they were cool stores, yeah. cool stores. And there's nothing like them, you know. I mean, Best Buy is probably the closest, but Best Buy doesn't yeah. have any of the hobby stuff. You know, Best Buy That's still right. has, yeah, Best, Best Buy has computers and grocery or, uh, refrigerators and vacuums and things like that. But they don't have any area where there's parts and where I could buy just the hard drives or, or, um, you know, oh, soldering you iron, <laughs> all kinds of plug-in boards. You remember, you know, the PC oh, yeah. was a big thing then. Yeah. And so you could buy a plug-in board that was made for the PC just about. Oh yeah. 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 You could go buy, you know, the, there'd be 15 different type of boards that were modems that plugged into the back of your, your, your PC. Of course, PCs aren't that way anymore. Right. I mean, and Macs That's haven't right. been that way for years. You don't open up a Mac and put a board inside it unless, of course, you buy oh. the Mac Pro and you're spending $50,000 for a professional machine that has a special, you know, custom board in it well, to do it. To do away with that. <laughs> yeah, well, and their users basically balked and so they brought it back. But you notice they still haven't they still haven't moved that one over to Apple Silicon yet either. And I think part of that is trying to figure out where's, where do you strike the balance, you know, that it's expandable. How's it going to be expandable? And, you know, what do our users really want? You know, because you don't want your Mac Pro to be slower than your, than your MacBook Air because you took the memory off of the system chip so that they could expand yeah. memory. But that's what would happen that's is that. if you move it over, you know, take it off, then you've now slowed the computer down. And it's like, yep. yeah, it's more expandable, but it costs, you know, unless they're going to well, build some super bus that somehow manages that. Who knows? 
what a lot of people don't realize is now today when you make a memory option choice, you're saying, what do I want on the silicon? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why it can't be upgraded. So it's basically figure out what it is you need and get that now and maybe bump it up a little bit for what you might need in the future. But you're not going to add to, you know, about but the only you thing know, you can do I, is I, you, I, you can you can you can plug in an external hard drive. I thought about going into the Apple store to buy the new uh, Apple TV 4K that I was telling you about. Right. Uh, and asking the guy the question, uh, wh why would I need more than the minimum 256K or whatever it is? I don't know, whatever the number is. There's a 64 gig and a one. There's a 64 gig one and there's a 128 gig one. Those are the two options. Yeah. But, oh, that, on Apple TV, that's right. I, that, I was looking at something else. Right. Uh, I was looking at it. And I'll tell you of, why you want the 128. Oh, I know that one. That one's easy. <laughs> yeah. But but on the computer that I was looking sure. at, just to see, 14 or a 16-inch computer. Right. Uh, anyway, multiple memory options. And I says, now, why don't you guys tell me what applications drive memory and, and have a nice chart here to show me that helps me make a decision? Yeah. Maybe they'd pull one out. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know what? I think they would tell you that if you have less memory, it uses memory swapping, and the memory that you're swapping to is so fast now, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, yeah, it's, for, for the, you know, unless you're going to do lots of video editing or, or, or you know, you have something that is a, um, you know, a, an app that you, a custom app that's a big memory hog, you probably don't care. Because the difference between memory and storage is almost gone. Yeah, yeah. Because they're both so fast now. So, yep. and and just for no. those who are listening, the difference on the Apple TV, the 128 versus the 64. The 128 also has a thread radio on it for HomeKit, and so if you want a thread hub, then that's one reason. And if you want to ever have the ability to run a physical Ethernet into it, so that it's not streaming via. Um, uh, the Wi-Fi, then you want the 128 because the 64 gig does not have an Ethernet connector and it does not have a thread radio in it. That's why you want the 128. Yeah. So if you're going to ever do anything However, with smart they home. Support, they all have to support the new standard that's beyond thread. Uh, well, matter, matter that, encompasses matter. thread as well as Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And they both support the matter standard. But within the matter standard, the thread radios are much lower latency and much lower energy than either Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. So you want to, to purchase things that have thread radios in them that support matter. And so you want thread radios in your hub. Yep. So. Well, Todd, I think it's time to say goodbye. I agree. Let's see, how was the song? Now it's time to say goodbye. Sleep, <laughs> baby, sleep. Todd's going to music. Yeah. Again. Yeah, I'll probably but, get uh, told that to have to take it down because I sang a song I don't have the rights to. <laughs> I did less than eight seconds. It was fair use. So, anyway. Um, I wanted you to hear here from my... Can you hear that? I can. That was your, you your MIDI MIDI song playing? 
Yes. Yeah. No, I heard that just fine. So, can you hear okay. this? Can you hear it? That is our goodbye music. So, thank you all for joining us today. This has been Generation Tech. We'll be back next week. Bye.